What's going on, constant listeners? You are listening to the Krypton Cast on the podcast from Earth 2, and I am your host, Brian from Earth 16. And in this episode, we are going to be reviewing Krypton Season 2, Episode 2 A Ghost in the Fire. Hit it! <laughs> to the Krypton cast from a podcast from Earth 2. Hope everyone's doing very well. I mean, it's the beginning of the summer season. I mean, stay hydrated, drink your water. Don't be out in the sun too much unless you're going to the beach. I mean, our beaches here in Earth 16 are really are really nice and beautiful. We try to not pollute as much, but there's a few people who still pollute. But then again, teach his own, right? But, you know... I've been enjoying this whole week. This week's been great. I mean, I've recently got back, gone back into comic book collecting since going to Phoenix Fan Fusion, which was fun. I mean, yeah, it was totally fun. I collected several Star Wars comics. I've been collecting a whole lot of Flash comics, um, mostly Flash Year One. But I'm restarting my collection again, which is really fun. And pretty soon, I might have like a library full of like comic books, and. I'm just planning on working on that YouTube channel for the podcast from Earth 2, so I'm still working a couple kinks there, but we're gonna have I'm gonna have that up and running pretty soon along with my other you know YouTube channel that complements my blog at the Boy Wonder Press where you can also follow me where I do all my other stuff and good stuff like that. I mean, it's just it's gonna be for me like I feel like my summer is gonna be really fun. I mean, I'm just doing a whole lot of projects. I mean also changing my lifestyle a little bit too. I mean, I might talk about a little bit more in future podcasts, but I mean, I'm having help from family too. So that's, that's really nice. And it's always great to have support from family just to help change your lifestyle and all that, just to live more healthy and live more at peace with who you are and like what you have. And I've been learning a whole lot of that as of late and you know, it's quite nice. I mean, it's really nice. I mean, just taking things one step at a time and not letting you know, not, not letting some things get to you. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's what it takes to be a hero, too. I mean, heroes, you have to understand, superheroes, like, especially like Superman, they go, they go through a lot of challenges in life, though. But ultimately, their mission is just to be a superhero, save save lives, and end of story. I mean, like, that's what, that's what brings the joy in life, I feel. It's just 
you know, nothing else matters when you're being the hero, when you're out to help people, when you're out to make a difference. I mean, everything else, I mean, doesn't this say get put in the back burner though, but at the, at the moment's notice, it's like, that doesn't really become the focus. Like the negative doesn't become the focus. It's more of the positive that becomes the focus. And that's why I thought, I mean, that's why I've been learning as of, you know, around this time, especially in the summer, that's what's teaching me right now. It's just, you know, take things one at a time and put a lot of joy in the things that you do, put a lot of fun in the things you do. I mean, even with a flash, I learned that, you know, whenever he's out on a run, you know, I mean, he remains hopeful and that's what makes him into the awesome hero that he is. And that's for me, what I'm doing, what I'm doing, especially like this podcast, I think of nothing but having fun, just being silly, goofing off in a good way, of course, you know what I mean? And the way that's enjoyable and healthy and respectful. And I think we all kind of need to be doing that, you know what I mean? And wherever it is we pursue, you know, just do it for the joy. And I feel like the stress just goes away, you know? I mean, wherever it is that you're doing, wherever it is that you're pursuing, put a lot of joy and fun into it. In that way, it'll get you through the rough times. It'll get you through. It'll get you through almost anything. I guarantee you that. I'm practicing that more every single day. So, having said that, I'm going to be reviewing um, season two, episode two, which is called "A Ghost in the Fire" for the Krypton cast. And here's a lead. The lead is that um, this um, second episode has shed more light on the last six months after General Zod took over Krypton. And for this segment, in this episode will be discussed and reviewed in arcs. I just feel that it's a better way for me to talk about the episodes rather than just um, go through the trouble of going through too much of the chronological order. I just like to discuss the arcs that way. That's how I best communicate all this to you. So that way, it's more to me, it's more clear and it's more structured. So having said that, we seen the episode that Doomsday actually attacked um, two Satatari who were in the Outlands, looking at you know going on patrol, and it's just crazy. You can imagine, you know, if you're a Satatari, especially a rankless um, turned Satatari, for that matter, and you just see this brute of a monster just come attack you, and you're you're kind of wondering what is that, you know? What I mean, and you hope to you hope and pray that you'll live, but you know, obviously these Sagittarius weren't lucky. And it takes us straight to the arc I want to discuss was mother. I like to call it mother and Zod, meaning Lyta and Zod, because Lyta is the mother of Zod, and the whole entire Zod regime. We're seeing it how it kind of just what kind of goes on. I mean, we saw that in the first episode too when they brainwashed Reyna, um, the woman from that um from the Siphonites. We see what the Zod regime has done to people. But we learned more about this you know we learned a little bit more about the Sagittari, what they are right now, because the Sagittari used to be they basically used to be a well respected force. They used to be like an elite group of soldiers, like Krypton's elite military, or if not Krypton's elite military, at least the backbone of Kandor. Like no one ever, you know decide to, you know, piss off a Sagittari or stand up to them because if doing so it would, you know, it's almost like Rao helped them, you know? <laughs> put it to, put it in Kryptonian terms, because Rao is a Kryptonian god, you know? But as of right now, the Sagittari 
consists of former rankless, as I mentioned before. And Lyta points this out to Zod when he says, you know, those two who died are Satatari. They knew what they're getting themselves into. She was like, well, yeah, but they're rankless too. They were once rankless. And I feel that General Zod is using the Satatari or the rankless as pawns in a sense. You know, I mean, leading them to die off to, to only to fulfill his agenda. It makes sense too, because if you really think about it, he's a dictator. What do dictators do? They they kind of use their charm to kind of persuade people to believe in certain things or to buy certain things, you know, buy into certain things. And ultimately, they unfortunately, the people who buy into it get duped and they end up in a not so good ways. I mean, as I mentioned before, this this is the same thing that this is nothing new. I mean, the same thing happened, you know, when Hitler took over Germany and, you know, I mean, the Nazis took over Germany and then even with the Soviets with Stalin, like people were kind of duped, you know, the given promises of good things only to find out that it's not, you know, it's, the grass is not so much greener on the other side when it comes to regimes like this. And, you know, speaking of... You know, I mean, speaking of uh, the Sagittarius being used as pawns, I mean, you see how Lyta trains the, the new Sagittarius, the new batch. She's being brutal, being very Zod-like, and you can kind of see how she plays a role in Zod's upbringing. You know, I mean, like, if you see how future Zod is, I mean, imagine how, what past Zod had to go through as a kid under her. So I mean that's kind of like a that's kind of like a a foreshadowing of how you're going to see her raise Zod, and while Lyta is actually training the Sagittari, especially these former Rankless, she sees one of them that resembles Seg, and it's a really poignant scene because I say this because in one scene she's she tells she talks to this this particular recruit. And he tells her that he's from the rank, he's from a rankless sector. And there's like kind of an intimate moment, but then Lyta just rips him to shreds, like just completely beats him bloody. And luckily he's okay though, but he has a broken jaw. And, you know, she, it comes to show that she still has her, has love for Seg Eldo, but right now she's just not, she's not the Lyta Zod that, we've seen from season one she's a whole completely different person now matter of fact she's much even more ruthless than general zod himself or maybe he has rubbed off on her like that i don't know but i think that's likely the case and we see that the zods are using nissa vex as a mole to infiltrate the resistance and they're doing this by having core vex as a hostage now, Corvex, Cor, he's just a little infant, you know, the son of Seg and Nyssa. He doesn't quite know what's going on. And they're using him as a bargaining chip to get Nyssa to betray the resistance and, you know, have Zod gain a foothold against them. And, you know, you can tell that Lyta, when she's holding Corvex, you can kind of see the fact that she's holding him as if he's her own son and who knows she might very well view it that way because she sees her her lover in that baby like the man that she was in love with looks exactly like that child she's holding so no wonder she feels a certain kind of way towards Corvex, even though it's nissa's child 
And speaking of Nyssa, the Zods, you know, they broke her by not only taking Corvex away, though, but also killing her father, even though she didn't have a good relationship with him, as, you know, as Val pointed out. And they they also used her questioning of her origin. So Zod, you can see that General Zod is very manipulative. And, you know, that also comes from, in a sense, that also comes from Lyta, too, because Lyta's kind of the same way, in a sense. Or at least she's becoming so. Sort of a weird paradox between the between mother and son. And you, you have to understand, too, that's not going to be the last time she, you know, she's going to be with him, because guess what? She could very well conceive him. I mean, after all, Seg and Lyta did have an intimate moment, so she very well could be pregnant with Zada as of right now, now that I think about it. You know what I mean? So, who knows? Now, speaking of Seg-El, we're going to go to straight to the Seg and Adam versus Lobo arc. Now, Lobo, the main man, the Cesarian, the Bastiche, the bounty hunter, has captured Seg and Adam. And he introduces himself, but he is so peeved that Seg and Adam do not know him. And I'm a little surprised at this because Adam Strange, who says he's from the future, doesn't know Lobo. I don't know, maybe it was a it was a continuity continuity mistake, but then again, if you're Adam Strange and you're traveling the cosmos in space, as the comics portrayed him at, you know, a space archaeologist, I would imagine that he would have a run-in or two with the main man or with Lobo. Then again, I don't know. I don't. Re- I didn't read that much Adam Strange comics, you know what I mean? But, I mean, Sean Shipdos, Sipos, the guy who plays Adam Strange, has kind of got me hooked to the hero. And the first time I ever did see Adam Strange was in Batman the Brave and the Bold, and I also saw him in um, Justice League of the New Frontier, just with his jetpack and his blaster or his gun. Kind of reminds me of... See, I feel like Adam Strange would be Boba Fett if he was like... If Boba Fett was a clean-cut babyface, he would be Adam Strange. You know, I mean, jetpack, clean-shaven face, the gun, I mean, the goody-good attitude, I mean, having a wife, I mean, I mean, it's like a doppelganger of, doppelganger of Boba Fett, but that's just me. So, I mean, and not to mention the fact that, you know, I mean, if he was like, if he was like a huge mark for Superman, or if he knew Superman very well, he would know that Superman is an occasional ally or or reluctant ally or enemy of Lobo. And with Lobo here, he's a bit of an asshole. I'll say it like that. I mean, he calls Seg Seagull, and I think they didn't they did this on purpose because the thing was like Seg L is based on for those of you who don't know, Jerry Siegel is the is one half of the duo with Joel Schulster who creates Superman. So Lobo calling um, Seg L Siegel is a reference to Joel Siegel, or no, Joseph Jerry Siegel, I'm sorry, Jerry Siegel, who created Superman. But it's viewed as an insult by Seg because it's like, you know, dude, you're saying my name wrong. It's Seg L. He's like, oh, hello, Siegel. Either that or he's just calling him a Siegel like a bird. But Jerry Siegel is the guy who created Superman. So for those of you who don't know, there's a little, it's a little history. And Seg L was actually... The character of Sega was actually created by um, I forgot who created him exactly though, but the per- the people that created him based Sega on Seagull, so that's where it comes from. And he's much more so of an asshole when he calls um, Krypton Crap Town, and it just gets Sega is just at this point he's just as annoyed. He's like, "Look, 
dude, I, you know, you, you know, I don't want you to kill us. I mean, like, we didn't do anything wrong. And when Lobo mentions Brainiac, Seg is like, look, I know Brainiac. I actually killed him. So, as they're searching for Brainiac's body, I mean, Seg makes a deal. Like, okay, if we find Brainiac's body, you'll let us go. And Lobo's like, you know what? Sure, why not? Sure, whatever. So, Seg somehow is, you know, it's funny because when Seg talks to Lobo, somehow he's able to know the exact distance from the planet Kolu, which they're on, you know, to the planet Krypton in light years, exact light years. And Adam just looks at him and says, like, dude, how do you know all this? And Seg says, just shrugs us, you know what? It beats me, man. So, when they're looking for Brainiac's body, we quickly discover, you know, it's quickly discovered that um, Seg has a part of Brainiac dwelling inside him. And this is made apparent when Lobo's using a scanner to scan Brainiac's corpse and scans nothing. But when he scans Seg, yeah, he basically scans Brainiac. And we also see this when Seg somehow knows um, more, you know, sort of like martial arts. And it's a really cool scene that's a homage to Henry Cavill's character in Mission Impossible. And even Cameron Cuff, the guy who plays Seg, kind of commented saying that I did a little bit of another a reference from another Superman actor when he like balls his fists and like, <laughs> you know, hits him, you know, this like does some air punches on the ground, you know, when he's when he's off to fight Lobo. And while they're fighting, Adam actually shoots Lobo in the midsection and Lobo just goes down for the count for a while, but then he starts slowly healing himself because Lobo's able to, able to quickly heal. He has accelerated healing. So Adam and Sag race to go find the Zeta beam because I forgot to mention actually that um, Lobo threw away the Zeta, threw the Zeta beam in the, in the spring. Um, but they are able to find it, but the episode ends off where Sag tells Adam that, look, you need you need to you know you need to leave Krypton without me or you need to leave this planet without me because if you go with me, Brainiac's going to take over and he is taking over right now, as I speak. I I don't know how long, how much longer I have, and you get to see Sex eyes turn black, and surprisingly, Adam's not really scared. I mean, he's confident that he can get Brainiac out of Seg somehow. I mean, Lobo tried to, but in his own way, which was kind of brutal. And Lobo right now is still out to find them. And you even hear Lobo's voice say, I'm, I'm out to get you past teaches. So, yeah. So a lot of problems for Adam. I mean, he's on the run from Lobo. And right now his best friend, or his friend at the moment right now, is being corrupted or possessed by Brainiac. So he's in a rock, between a rock and a hard place at this point. So I want to also discuss the Resistance arc, and Seg's grandfather, Val-El, is leader of this Resistance, along with Jax Ur. And they're in the planet, I think it's called Rakthor, I want to say. Did I pronounce that correctly? Let me see. i got my notes right here. Actually, um, look at my notes right now. I think it's Rakthor. Yeah, so they're on this Kryptonian colony. It's like a desert planet sort of like Mars. And we see that Val-El is a leader of this resistance that's planning to overthrow Zod. And you can see that Val-El is a clear symbol of hope. Like the House of El symbol, which means hope. And people um, need to rally behind hope, House of El, to defeat tyranny, House of Zod. And you can see that Val-El is a great orator. I mean, 
wanting to win Krypton back from the bastard that stole our tomorrow, despite the fact that Zod is his great grandson, <laughs> you know, and Jax Ur, who's basically his second in command, when Nissa comes back, you know, per, you know, per, you know, Zod's doing, she doesn't trust Nissa, and rightfully so. I mean, Zod's clever um, ways to break, you know, it's, it's Zod's clever way using Nissa, it's his clever way to break the resistance and defeat it by using Nissa. And you can't really blame Jack Sir for feeling suspicious about Nissa coming back the way she did. But you also can't really blame Nissa because remember why Nissa's actually even doing this to begin with. It's Corvex. Zod has her son hostage. And you can see that Nissa doesn't want to betray the resistance, but she has no choice but to report to Zod on what's going on. And she hatches this plan to attack to attack um, Zod's um you know Zod's army, or at least his strongholds, but we find out quickly that Zod actually wants that to happen. So he kind of pulls sort of an Emperor Palpatine to attract the rebels to a targeted area, but at the same time to inflict a huge blow on them, kind of like what Emperor Palpatine did with the Second Death Star plans, like by letting the Bothan spies get them only for them to trap the rebels and wipe them out in Star Wars. Another Star Wars reference I did there, by the way. Forgive me. So, another arc, actually, the last arc I wanted to discuss in this episode is Gina's redemption. Gina Zod, the mother of Lyta Zod and the grandmother of one General Drew Zod. And while she's talking to her brother, she makes it, you know... It's sort of her mission to redeem the Zod name. And she's living out in the Outlands right now. You know, talking to her brother about the legend of Flamebird. And it's kind of analogous as to how the story of Flamebird had to do with restoration. And now that I think about it, there's a pretty much a reason why they call this episode a ghost in the fire. Because Flamebird represents fire. He, you know, Flamebird is sort of like the Kryptonian god that cleanses everything. It's the opposite of Nightwing. Now, Nightwing, many people, many of, some people may or may not know, but for those of you who don't know, Dick Grayson got the name Nightwing from Superman, who told him the story about the legend of Nightwing, who was sort of like a vigilante and an enforcer in Krypton, along with his, along with a um, partner by the name of Flamebird. And there's a comic out there, too, where Superman actually did take on the mantle of Nightwing, along with Jimmy Olsen, who took on the mantle of Flamebird, until Chris Kent, which was the son of Zod in the comics, took on the mantle of Nightwing, and he had a girlfriend who took on the mantle of Flamebird. So Nightwing and Flamebird is very synonymous, not only with the Batman mythos, but also with the Superman Kryptonian mythos. That's where it actually comes from. little comic lesson there for you, all of you out there. So I think the story of Flamebird kind of um, Flamebird restoring some things and cleansing some things is analogous to how Jaina wants to cleanse the House of Zod of its brutality because she acknowledges that the House of Zod made monsters, it made barbarians, warmongers, and that how her father raised her is how she raised Lyta, and she raised a monster in Lyta, and she's really regretful. It's like an epiphany that she's going through. But she's still the same badass woman that, you know, was from season one, not willing to take crap from anybody. And we see this in a Katina where she was at, where they knew who she was. 
but right now she's a fugitive of the Sagittarii. And she earns the respect of the people in the cantina because the people in the cantina are kind of like outcast, sort of. People who don't want to have anything to do with like civilization or anything like that. They're just living, living independent. So she actually punches one of them in the face and actually ends up you know, hurting one of them. And that's what earns their respect. So when the Sagittarii come in, they don't rat her out. But the Sagittarii are quick to recognize her. But then she um, quickly defeats the Sagittarii with help from Death M, who was actually following her. So pretty much that ends it off um, for this Cryptoncast from podcast from Earth 2. And some final thoughts for this podcast, for this Krypton cast. Sorry, that ends off this Krypton cast. I shouldn't say that ends off the podcast. From, you know, I mean, jumble of words. But anyway, some final Krypton, Krypton cast thoughts. And one of them I want to ask is, where is Kem? Now, we haven't seen um, Seg's bartender buddy for a while. I mean, last we heard, he was in Kryptonopolis, and then we also, the last we've seen of him was that he was being recruited into the Satatari. So hopefully we see more of Kem, because he was a really cool cool character, comic relief. But I think that role has kind of gone to Adam Strange. And another thought I had is, will Zod use Doomsday on the Resistance, or against the Resistance, should his plan with Nyssa Vex fail? Because it seems like Zod wants Doomsday as a as sort of as an insurance policy for the general if things go south, just so that way he can keep his iron fist rule on Krypton. And can Dev M, the former Sagittari, really be trusted? Is he still Love Lita? Is he with the Sagittari? Is he actually working with Zod? I mean, you kind of have to wonder. Dev M's kind of a wild card here at this point. It'd be really interesting to see how his partnership with Jane Azad develops. And will Seg L be rid of Brainiac? I mean, only, again, only the episodes will tell, only time will tell if he's going to be rid of Brainiac or perhaps Brainiac becomes a part of him somehow. And another question I had was really interesting. I've been kind of toying with this for a while, even on the internet. Is Seg L's son with Nyssa Corvex, is he Jor-El? Is he the future Jor-El? One can only wonder. I mean, Corvex has sort of a future ahead of him, as many have mentioned about him. I mean, he's going to become a well-respected man. You know, I mean, if you if you saw the first episode, you would have saw that in the Genesis Chamber where it predicted that Cor- well, who Corvex would come, would become. You know, you see what I'm saying? And what the Genesis Chamber was describing him as was Jorel, or who knows, right? I mean, again, only time will tell. And another question I had was, is Krypton set in a new timeline, or is it a paradox? Because the reason why I asked this is because when Seg was stuck into the Fam Zone, we see the Superman cape turn into the cape of Zod. And now that Seg's back, he's out of the Phantom Zone, I mean, who knows if that cape has changed back to the House of El or is still the House of Zod? We don't know. And last question, will we see someone from the Kent family appear on the show? Jonathan Kent? Martha Kent? Hell, maybe even Clark Kal-El Superman Kent himself. Who knows? 
Well, that's going to do it for this podcast. Uh, that's going to do it for this CryptonCast on the podcast Mert 2. Don't forget to subscribe um, to our Twitter account at PFE2 underscore. And, of course, don't forget to subscribe to my Twitter at Brian's Comics underscore one. Um, and also... If you have any final, if you have any like additional questions regarding Krypton season two, feel free to go on my Twitter and ask, ask, um, shoot a question, tweet a question, I'll answer it, or I'll probably even answer it on the next podcast from Earth, um, Krypton cast from Earth two, or po- you know what I mean on the next Krypton cast. So we're going to be reviewing the next episode and episode three, and it should be a really awesome episode. I mean, I really love, I'm really enjoying this season so far. It's Almost as it's actually a hell of a lot better than the first. I mean, I like the first season though, but this season's really awesome because I think we're going to see more, just more of Doomsday, more of Zod, and just how Brainiac just plays in this picture. So until then, constant listeners, stay ever so awesome. This is Brian from Earth 16 signing out.